Hello, hello, and welcome to Modern Musicology with Alan and Anthony. Howdy. How are you? I am doing well, thank you. I don't know where this uh, the last few days have gone, but otherwise I'm doing great. So uh, we are sadly not joined tonight by Rob, who is in Chicago for his birthday. Happy birthday, Rob. Happy Say birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> I was, I was like, getting there. Are you going to join in or not? I wasn't um, sure you were saying more or not. We miss you, Rob. Anyway, we'll mm -hmm. see Rob again next week. Uh, but Anthony and I are going to take an opportunity to talk about one of our favorite subjects, prog rock. Yes. Yes. What was what was the first prog group that you really latched on to? Oh, it, it was Genesis. I mean, I was aware of Pink Floyd because it was pretty difficult not to be. Uh, yeah. growing up in the uk i was aware of um another brick in the wall i was aware of mm -hmm. money and time i think those were the three pink floyd songs when growing up it was fairly difficult to get away from and i always right. kind of liked pink floyd but I, it was never quite enough to make me go i have to track down more of this exactly um <laughs> as i think i said previously 2005 i'd gone through about four years of exclusively listening to heavy metal mm -hmm. and a friend of mine sent me very kindly uh genesis genesis is genesis is that that platinum collection uh three disc set mm -hmm. that had all those gorgeous remastered tracks on it prior to them remastering their entire catalog mm -hmm. and of course the track that drew me in based on where i was musically at the time was the knife because it's got that wonderful bit at the end that as yep. a metalhead, I was like, ooh. <laughs> right. ooh, this sounds like the kind of stuff Sabbath were doing at the time, kind of. Mm, yeah. Um, and so I got listening to that third disc, which was all the Peter Gabriel era stuff. And I suddenly realized there was a heavy bit in the musical box. There was a heavy mm. bit in Supper's Ready. Yeah. And just, it, it was almost like this slow slow burn where as i got more into those i started appreciating the less heavy parts of those songs and then that led me into well i guess i'll give Firth a fifth a try i know what i like <sighs> in your wardrobe um <sighs> the lamb and then i started listening to the other discs as well and you know it, it just slowly over time just drew me in mm -hmm. and the next thing i knew i was I, marillion do this thing uh, called Crash Course. And at the time, it's now online, but at the time, you could basically go onto their website, um, put it in your cart, and it was free. All you had to do was send, pay postage, and they would send you a, CD, a sampler CD, basically. Mm -hmm. And everyone had said to me, Marillion are basically Genesis Mark II. <laughs> right. So I did that, and I didn't think they sounded that much like Genesis. Some mm -hmm. of their early stuff, there's a little crossover, but I really liked that as well. And one thing led to another, and I started listening to more uh, Yes, I started listening to King Crimson. Rush, I know, are technically prog, but they're a little heavier. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I guess if you truly want to ask my first prog loves, was probably Dream Theater and, and Rush. Wow. Before Genesis, because those because they appeal to metalheads. Exactly. Right, but exactly. 
getting away from that and that obvious heavy metal collect, uh, connection into something a bit more um, mainstream, if you can ever call prog mainstream, <laughs> it, it was those two bands. How about mm -hmm. yourself? I grew up uh, a Kiss head. I mean, just complete Kiss. Um, I had my, my bedroom was absolutely covered with Kiss posters uh, to the point where I like put a little like I made it like a little paper plaque with the number 100 on it for the 100th poster that I hung and they were on like every wall like there you couldn't wow. see the wall color anymore they were just like plastered and then went uh, across the ceiling partly across the ceiling and I made a second little plaque with the number 150 on it so I was eat up with kiss and at some point like I don't remember I remember kind of where it was, but I don't remember what grade I was in. But a friend loaned me uh, Fly By Night, Russia's second album. And I did not know what to make of that. But it was it blew me away. And it was nothing like anything I had ever heard before. So I really got kind of interested in hearing more. And a, I think it was a different friend loaned me 2112. And that blew my mind like um it i just never heard anything like it not even remotely like it and um i i studied it i studied the lyrics and of course the drummer was the lyricist mm -hmm. and that really caught my interest because I, I being a drummer myself um and that's where my love of writing came from from neil peart like he inspired me to be to like you know improve on drumming but he also inspired me to really get into writing um and so 2112 really like made me think completely differently about music about how music is structured about time signatures about thematic material that runs throughout about a song doesn't have to be three and a half minutes and tailored for radio you know mm -hmm. the the title suite spans the entire you know side one of the album and i just and, never experienced anything like that before and i think that first side is is so interesting because it moves i don't want to say through genres but through different levels of heaviness yeah. and to your point alan it's what is it five different movements i mean it's it's almost structured more like a classical piece yeah oh yeah absolutely and I think that was the wake up for me as well, um, mm -hmm. because similar story, someone actually sent me, because this was a, a few years later, a burned MP3 disc with, I think, half of Russia's back catalog on it. And, nice. um, you know, obviously, once I heard 2112, I thought, this is incredible. I have to support this band. And so I went and actually bought it. Mm hmm. I, I right. think I asked for it for Christmas, but um, <laughs> but it got paid for somehow. <laughs> so, someone bought it for me because right. I, I, I'm a big believer. Even today, if I hear something on Spotify that I really enjoy, mm -hmm. I know the artist gets peanuts for that. So totally. I'm going to go and buy it, buy it on vinyl. Um, Agreed. And it, similar situation back then, but that 2112 is just mind blowing. Yeah. And especially as young as I was when I first heard it. I mean, when you're going from, you know, like the main thing, like on radio, I listened to like, you know, at the time 
you know, things like ABBA were happening and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I was a big McCartney and Wings fan and, you know, just things like that. So, you know, my radio listening was at top 40. So it was all over the, you know, disco was happening and all this nonsense. And then to be given 2112, I mean, that is just like horizon expanding. That's like third eye opening. (laughs) Exactly like that. Like, I, I, I mean, because it really, um, it's so imagery heavy. It doesn't just, you know, it's not just a song about, you know, hitting the dance floor or, you know, mm-hmm. being a dancing queen or any of that stuff. You know, it like opens these vistas that you would never, I mean, it was like watching a movie. It, it's interesting you talk about from a drummer's perspective, that's mm. what brought you in. And from my perspective, I had maybe picked up the bass a year before i heard 2112 yeah so similar story getty lee not only yeah. is he um playing bass he's singing in that unique voice and i've tried and i certainly can't do it while playing bass i can barely do it while <laughs> just sitting here right and, and then on top of that live he's playing bass pedals with his feet and these guys are just such insane musicians the thing that is that blows me away about Getty is that he doesn't always sing things the same way. He will improvise, he will stretch his melody, he will change the way he does it. But in time with the music, like he's still playing, like he, I don't know, that boggles yeah. my mind how you can possibly do that. And but all three of them, wow! Oh my God, unbelievable! There's that bit in the well. There, there's so much of Alex in those in that whole album but on that uh, side one piece i mean he's just incredible you know because i grew up obviously an ace fraley fan and mm. alex was just like a completely different level oh 100 oh my god you know it's it's interesting because I, I i enjoyed what i heard of rush but i would still describe genesis as my first progressive love mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. followed by Marillion, and then through Marillion, I kind of tangentially heard of this band called Porcupine Tree. Oh, my gosh. And because they, they toured with Marillion, Stephen Wilson produced Radiation, which was Marillion's 10th yeah. album. And then in 2007, I think, they released an album called Fear of a Blank Planet. Mm-hmm. And Alex Lifeson laid down a solo for Anesthetize, which is their 16 minute epic in the middle of the album mm-hmm. and of course hearing that name and then knowing the marillion connection i picked up that album and again that was another one of those holy shit moments <laughs> um and another progressive obsession of mine was was inculcated in my brain right right um but again because of alex lifeson and his insane guitar playing Mm -hmm. so once i kind of got into like you know the yet or the the rush sort of you know mentality uh my next step was yes and i i i would say that they are still my my first love my not first as as far as like when i got into them but first as like top of the pyramid Mm -hmm. uh as far as prog goes they are the pinnacle for me it's like Rush with a gateway drug that helped you discover yes. It did. It, it really did. Not only yes, but like everything Prague, you know, originates from me 
being given that copy of 2112 when whenever that was 78 79 something like that so what was it about yes in particular that drew you in there you know it's interesting because at first i didn't quite get into yes because rush as complex as they could be sometimes they were sort of like regimented like you can count it out you know like there's going to be a pattern if if it's in seven eight you can figure out that seven eight pattern if they go from you know there's a song that goes from seven eight to six eight to seven eight to five eight and once you get it you kind of get the pattern and you can kind of like count it out yes was much more fluid it was it was sort of harder to latch down to like you know um the first thing that i ever got was uh classic yes which was sort of a greatest hits album kind of thing that came mm -hmm. out in 1980 um and i had heard well i, I knew a, a couple of you know i mean because i grew up listening to top 40 radio in the 70s so i heard roundabout you know uh as it was happening on the radio which is just bonkers to think that top 40 radio used to play stuff like roundabout you know and stairway yeah. to heaven is stuff i mean it just it's just mind-blowing that that's what used to all the stuff that we think of as classic rock used to be like new hits on top 40 radio going up the billboard charts and all this kind of crazy stuff right so anyway yeah so um uh the first thing i got was that greatest hits thing and stuff like uh, heart of the sunrise um it was a little bit harder for me to uh to grasp at first but you know the more i listened to it the more i really sort of understood it and they have sort of a more organic feel i guess much more as like we were talking about 2112 being sort of like uh like classically inspired yes definitely is more symphonic and especially when you get into the longer things like uh close to the edge and Gates of Delirium, mm -hmm. and then the entire uh, Tales album, Tales from Topographic Oceans. You know, you have themes that run through all of those pieces. And it's, a, it's again, another, like, extension of how to think about music. And so it's because of this stuff that I got so heavily into classical music later on. Majored in music and music history, you know, spent afternoons breaking apart a symphony and studying its development and thematic material and oh my gosh loved it so much so you know i can thank yes and rush for getting me into beethoven and mozart and haydn and stravinsky and all these things so <laughs> we we should do a classical episode at some point i would be down for that i'd love that because there's there's um, so much like you can trace like particularly in in prague you can trace back to very specific classical roots yeah there's it, a lot that's, that they're with yes that are really uh, stravinsky inspired go ahead sorry but it, but it's interesting you listen to yes and you listen to particularly king crimson and i feel mm. with those bands there's just as much jazz in there as there is classical yeah yeah absolutely so you know that's agree. where you start getting the the widdly keyboard solos and shit like that that i really enjoy <laughs> i say shit like that that's not to denigrate them i just you, but, you, but you know what i mean it's mm -hmm. it, it yeah. brings in a multitude of influences and melts them all together to spit out something unique right i had a one of my friends posted something um joe monticello actually uh, mm -hmm. one of our mutual friends posted something, I think it was yesterday about people who say that, um, 
you know, people perceive Prague as being pretentious and overblown. And uh, his his post particularly was about somebody who said that it lacked the rebellion that rock and roll is built on. And I think that's not true. I think that it absolutely rebelled against um, the, the top 40 structure of music. Like songs don't have to be three and a half minutes. It's rebelled against commerciality it uh rebelled against you know a constrained song structure and it yeah. definitely embraced the freedom of thought and freedom of expression and you know taking an idea to an extent you know to as far as you can take it well let's i mean with that let's think about um specifically piper at the gates of dawn okay pink floyd yep so that came out in 1967 you want to talk about rebelling against the status quo? Holy shit. I know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, something off of that, I, I mean, bike is a little bit more of a, a, a mm -hmm. bop. You can kind of imagine that. But Astronomy yeah. Domine or Power mm -hmm. R, Tok H, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, at the time, where were the Beatles at that point? They hadn't even done Sgt. Pepper yet. You know, this is, <laughs> this is some bonkers stuff going on yeah Had they done yeah was that 67 or 68 that was, it was 67 it was 67 because it came out the same time that bowie's first album did so sergeant pep was may 26th in 67 you're right yeah. and yeah. this came out piper at the gates of dawn came out four months later in august oh my gosh but you Crazy. compare them and yeah the beatles were experimenting from their mm -hmm. usual stuff but this i feel is just on another level and again to your point this is rebelling against the status quo mm -hmm. and i think what joe where, where people have the attitude that joe was mentioning is you look a lot at a lot of these bands and particularly genesis i feel like genesis are the band people hone in on because they were founded at charterhouse school when they were still mm. schoolboys. And yeah. Charterhouse is one of the old establishment private boarding schools yeah. in England. So I think people equate that, their background against something like punk, which was a very working class movement, and yeah. assume that just something, because something tends to have a little more of an upper class background to it, it's not rebelling. It's more yeah. establishment. And I don't right. think that's true. Right. They might not be political in the same way as, say, the Sex Pistols are in their mm -hmm. lyrics. Mm -hmm. but you look at what they're doing musically, and it's 100% a statement against the musical status quo. Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, have you ever heard a band called Voivod and their cover of Astronomy Domine? I've heard of Voivod I have because I think Jason Newstead, uh, formerly of Metallica, was in Voivod for about five minutes. I've not heard their cover. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. Um, I used to, the band I used to be in, Hyperdrive, we did a, we did a Astronomy Dominate for a while and we sort of patterned it after the Voivod cover because it was heavier. Oh my God, so much fun. That is a hell of a song to play. Uh, so when I are we going to start our, when are we going to start our Prague tribute band? Do you have time right now? You've got no. two two bands going on already. <laughs> I know, but you know. It's and I would Prague. actually have to practice my bass to do that rather than having it sitting prettily in a stand behind me for my work conference calls. <laughs> but at least it serves a purpose. 
next to my wine fridge i get a lot of comments (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) um have you heard of a band it's it's one of the more recent um prog bands they're called iq i have heard of them i don't think i've heard anything by them i love them um they are they're sort of like uh the peter gabriel genesis in as much as marillion is you know so not quite in the same way that marillion is uh they're they're very different from Marillion, but they have similarities to that uh, Peter Gabriel Genesis era. So and, I, 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 mm-hmm. I want to ask you, Alan, for a second. When you say they're a more modern band, are we talking? Well, <laughs> right. <laughs> and <laughs> I almost I almost qualified that when I said it. Um, you know, within the last twenty years. Okay. Okay, so they've got a they've got a, a like a string of albums uh, midway through their uh catalog they started in like uh 83 ish okay they were the same time as marillion yeah 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 exactly so i'm thinking that they kind of came up with the same influences that marillion did um but like in the 90s is when they really really take off for me there's an album called uh subterranea which is fantastic the seventh house in uh, 2000 is excellent but my absolute favorite album by them is dark matter 2004 it is a spectacular spectacular album the first track uh sacred sound is just under 12 minutes and the whole of side one is just phenomenal and then side two has this big 24 minute epic on it called harvest of souls which i i think that you would enjoy so i would definitely recommend giving that a try so I have got their Wikipedia entries open as a reminder to listen to them when I'm not in meetings. Right. Very nice. Um, so who? what are some of the other like more recent bands that you are into? Like you like you mentioned Dream Theater. They are sort of from that same era. They know? are. And, and what I think is interesting is in the 80s, prog almost split in two directions. Yeah. yeah. Right, so you, you had the very um, the the kind of metal tinge side that Dream Theater went with, mm-hmm. but then you almost had this kind of folk type strand as well. Mm-hmm. And one of the bands I've really been enjoying, they've just put out a new album, is a band called Big Big Train. Okay, and um, they're, for want of a better term, I, I guess a super group. Um, at various times, they've had um, Nick DiBagilio on drums. He played on Genesis's Calling All Stations. Yes. And I think he was in Spock's Beard for a while. Uh, he, um, he was Spock's had... Beard, basically. Yeah. Uh, when Neil Morse, who kind of ran the band, left, Nick took over as the lead exactly. vocalist. And I mean, he, he's brilliant. So he's part of Big Big Train. Uh, Dave Gregory, who um, was in XTC, mm-hmm. uh, was mm-hmm. in Big Big Train for a while, and they mm-hmm. they're just so fan- fascinating as a band because they're they're prog, but they're a little bit folky. Uh, my favorite album of theirs was called Folklore, and that mm-hmm. came out okay. in I guess the the mid the mid twenty tens, maybe I think it was maybe twenty sixteen. And I remember a year or two ago, whenever it was that Taylor Swift 
released an album called Folklore. Yes. I saw a ton of posts on social media with everyone going, <laughs> oh my God, Folklore, it's amazing. And I was like, wow, all of these really unexpected people are discovering Big Big Train. I'm really impressed. No. Oh, that's uh, hilarious. They were not. Uh, the other band I really like, um, and they're more on the metal side, is a band called Hiken. Um, mm. That's H-A-K-E-N. They they were founded, I want to say, in the mid-2000s, and they've mm -hmm. done some really, really interesting stuff. They kind of take what Dream Theater and Porcupine Tree did, but they also mm -hmm. blend in some of the styles of the lesser-known 70s stuff. Um, mm. You listen carefully, there's a bit of, like, gentle giant in there. Okay. And they're, they're fascinating. And they're young guys. I, I say young. They're about my age. Um, which... That's young to me. It is, but now I'm seeing the next generation come up, and I'm yeah, you're old. Yeah. Um, so I can only imagine how you're feeling, Alan. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they're good fun. And then the the other more modern band I really like is an Australian band, and they've gone down the more psychedelic path, and that's a band called King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. I have heard of them. And I have not heard out, anything like, by them. I need to dig that up. Well, there's a lot. I mean, they're yeah. only about 10 years old, but they put out, they put out something like two albums a year. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. I can't keep up with them. Uh, it's very, very <laughs> impressive. Wow. But what I've heard, I've really, really enjoyed. Okay. You know, you were talking about Dream Theater um, a few minutes ago, and uh, they, they came up like late 80s and uh, right at the beginning of the 90s, they were really sort of hitting their their stride mm -hmm. um and iq came up around that same time it's interesting that the that's the time that you know established prog bands were really sort of leaving prog behind in a way genesis had really like solidified into the phil collins years invisible touch and all that stuff and there's a little like prog element to it you know uh with domino and stuff like that uh, Kansas is doing the radio hits. Yes is doing 90125 and that kind of stuff. So, you know, in sort of that vacuum, all these new bands kind of like move in and, and take up the, the prog standard. Uh, what's really interesting is of those prog bands that come up at that time, I think from kind of the late 80s, I mean, Dream Theater were late 80s, but they didn't really get going until... I want to say 92, 93, but you started to get those bands, Dream Theater, Spock's Beard, Anathema, yeah. The Pineapple Thief. Yeah. Um, oh, man, I forgot even, about Pineapple Thief. Holy even, cow. Even Tool or Opeth or The Flower Kings, they, mm -hmm. they were all coming up at this time when this music was once again deeply unpopular. Grunge was mm. the big thing. Yeah. Followed by post-grunge and the alternative rock scene and yet mm -hmm. these bands came forward with the influences of classic prog a little bit of heavy metal and they're just it's the kind of thing um nobody likes us but we don't care and so once again rebellion exactly rebelling against what the popular statement is at that moment 100%. and in individuality you know we're going to do our shit because we want to do it and we know yeah. that there are people who want to hear it. And if yes isn't going to do it anymore, somebody's got to. Right. So, 
I mean, so I, without a doubt, I'm, I'm in the, in the rebellion of Prague camp. <laughs> but I, I think you make a really interesting point. I, I think the only classic prog band at that time who were still doing progressive things were Pink Floyd. You know, they put out the, mm -hmm. the Division Bell as their last mm -hmm. album, which is a mm -hmm. phenomenal album. Mm -hmm. But you look at what Yes were doing, you look at what Genesis were doing, even yeah. King Crimson, it, it's just not the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, and, you know, there's there's some point where, you know, bands have to evolve in order to survive, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, at we're at that point also where Rush is starting to really leave some of their prog leanings behind. When you get into the 90s, Rush is doing some great stuff, very uh, guitar oriented stuff, but nothing that you would say is prog. You know, they no, are a I hard they're a hard rock band that's inspired by Rush, you know, I mean, and I, that's I, not I, to that's not to like, you know, speak against it because i love a lot of rush's 90s stuff i really like roll the bones mm -hmm. i didn't at first but i really came around to it i don't know the title track just speaks to me for some reason even if <laughs> it does have the amazing lyric of why are we here because we're here roll the bones i mean but makes perfect catchy. sense to me makes perfect <laughs> sense there's uh some other stuff like um driven came out um a few years after that um the counterparts album is i i also didn't like it first um the first single from that was um uh, stick it out and i hated that song but when i picked up the album the first track on the album is animate and i was like holy shit this is amazing so you know they always found a way even you know as different as they would go each album they always found a way to like hook me in so I still love right. my 90s and my 2000s rush. What was the last Prague show you saw? Stephen Wilson. Ooh. I saw him at, um, oh, what's that little theater in Little Five? Is it the Variety Playhouse? Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, he played a mix of his solo stuff plus some Porcupine Tree. Mm -hmm. And I think he played Sign of the Times by Prince, if I recall. Well, now, because that's interesting. Specific, specifically because he was in Atlanta, that was mm -hmm. his tribute to Prince, who's, uh, as you know, last show was here. Mm -hmm. So, wow. but to me, I, I missed the opportunity to see Porcupine Tree because yeah. when I lived in London, I was a poor student and couldn't afford to go see them. And then <laughs> I moved here. And after I moved here, they didn't come to the US again. So they yeah. split. Stephen Wilson came here and he played a few Porcupine Tree tracks, mm -hmm. as I mentioned, one of which was Arriving Somewhere But Not Here, oh a Dead Wing album. Man, and I love that. I got so emotional yeah. at hearing that. I, I was sitting next to my at the time boss, who's a massive prog fan as well. And I, I was like holding back a tear, mm. uh, just being so happy to right. be able to hear this track right um, all right it was incredible speaking of you? shows well speaking of shows uh, this is a this is going to be a maybe a tough topic what are your thoughts about the current genesis tour i so i saw genesis in 2007 when they yeah. did the turn it on again tour yeah and 
it was spectacular. Mm-hmm. And I've seen footage from the last domino. And it's hard to watch. It is. It's hard to see Phil sitting down. It's hard to see him so off key. Yeah. And candidly, it feels like a money grab. Yeah. I I mean, I really hate to think that of them, but. The Turner On Again tour was the perfect end. You had Phil in great form. Yeah. You had you had him you had that 80s live lineup of Tony Banks, Mike Rutherford, Phil Collins with Daryl Stromer and mm-hmm. uh, Tony Thompson. Yeah. As named the drummer. You had those drum duets. It was basically a blowout 80s style, maybe early 90s style show, really showcasing the best of Genesis. And what you're seeing now maybe they've got better as the tour's gone on, but what you're seeing now is not the best of Genesis. And I I just think, why? I know. I know. Um, I I will say that I think Phil's uh, son, Nick, is like slaying the drums Mm -hmm. on the clips that I've seen. He's really doing some good stuff. Um, But man, is is it hard to watch. But I mean, yeah. they they can do it because they will fill venues with people who will spend the ridiculous amounts of money that they're charging for this. I'm not paying two hundred and fifty dollars to see that. No, no, no. Not I at think all. I paid eighty pounds to see them in two thousand and seven. Yeah, maybe wow. it was sixty, but somewhere around that. I say mm-hmm. I paid. My mother paid for myself her and, and my girlfriend at the time to go and see them but nice my mom's a big genesis fan too That's um cool. and my dad would never go with her because he doesn't <laughs> listen to that noise <laughs> anything past 68 no he's not listening um but i i just i don't get why you would pay to see something that's clearly such a pale imitation of what they used to be right Right. Um, there's this uh, tribute band. They're called Abacab. Have you heard of this? I've not, but I have seen other Genesis tribute bands. Um, mm-hmm. The musical box the, seems man. to be the biggest one. The musical box is unbelievable. They they stick to Gabriel era Genesis. Mm-hmm. They don't do anything past uh, Lamb. Done, and they I do the Lamb album. In some, I think they've oh, done seconds out. Really? Because I was going to mm-hmm. say this band that I'm talking about, Abacab, has done the entire Seconds Out album, and uh, they'll they'll do anything. They do you know Phil solo stuff and Peter solo stuff, and they do Modern Genesis. And I don't think they've ever actually done anything from Calling All Stations. That's no the only thing that. Oh, I love that album. I love it too. The Dividing I... Line is yeah. a phenomenal track. I think that the title track is fantastic. I even like Congo. And I, I will too. fight you on that. No, you don't have to I fight me, man. Fight I like it too. <laughs> we <laughs> but, will fight uh, anyone but, else. But they're really good. I think they're either North or South Carolina. And they do shows in Atlanta, you know, a couple, a few times a year. Um, so what, when they come down, we'll, we'll see them. We're going. Um, I remember I used to go like this band um, that was 
more or less a Southeast England band called Genesis in the Cage. Ooh. They used to call themselves in the cage and apparently got a ton of people thinking that they were a fetish act. So they actually had to put Genesis <laughs> in front of their name. <laughs> That's but they always said they, they formed when um, they were at a Genesis show in the late 80s. And mm. upon hearing everyone, not everyone, but a large swathe of the audience calling for In the Air Tonight, they realized oh. that they would probably never hear Suffers Ready again live. So they oh, decided right. to do it themselves. Never, never. Um, mm. And they they were great. They were better on some songs than others. Naturally, mm -hmm. they were phenomenal on, on In the Cage. They did a good Suffers Ready. But they played mm. some slightly lesser known tracks i remember they did a great uh fountain of salmacus oh my god i love that song love it i think they even did harold the barrel at one point <laughs> that's fantastic yeah so any so, any last thing that you can think of that we haven't talked about that you want to get in any last favorite album or uh band that we haven't mentioned that you think people should listen to so this is where I get on my soapbox. So Marillion. There you go. There are basically two eras. They've had two singers. The first one was was a gentleman who went by the name of Fish. The second one is a guy called Steve Hogarth. And they're very distinct sounds. So Clutching at Straws is, in my opinion, the best album with Fish. Mm. Absolutely phenomenal very heart-wrenching at times there are songs on there that will make you laugh there are songs that will make you cry there are songs that will see you at the bottle of uh, at the bottom of a bottle of johnny walker fish is scottish by the way so <laughs> i i've certainly cried my way down to the bottle of you know, down a bottle of johnny walker with that album anyway from the hogarth era there's an album called brave and the instructions on the back say listen to it loud with the lights out do it it's a journey it's emotional um steve hogarth the singer nearly quit at the end of the tour because he was so emotionally drained by performing that album it's in its entirety night after night it will get you there are certain things uh if you've ever been through a really really nasty breakup where someone has thoroughly betrayed you that album will speak to your heart wow um and it's it's candidly one of the best things i've ever heard and stephen wilson remixed it two years ago and it's it's sounds amazing so shout out to both of those albums and then uh porcupine trees dead wing is the other one mm, yeah that's a good how about you alan all right so um one you mentioned them earlier one of my favorite bands is spock's beard and uh, i discovered them right around 2000 and oddly enough they played at dragon con the album that was out at that time their newest album was uh it's called v you can it's also uh the roman numeral five because it was their fifth album but um so that album was out and that album blew me away. It is so massively good. Um, and so I was on this real hot there. The, the opening track is uh, like 16 minute um, at the end of the day. Fantastic song. And then again, like we were talking about with IQ or uh, 
whoever it was. Side two has this massive 27 minute song called The Great Nothing, which is sort of this epic tale of the universal force that is music. And it is amazing. And so they played at Dragon Con. So I got to see them basically for free because I had my Dragon Con membership. And they were phenomenal. They played almost everything from that album, plus, you know, good stuff from their previous albums. So um, everyone should check out V slash five by Spock. My list for tomorrow. It is so amazing. So amazing. Can we, can, can we tangent for a second? Yeah. Tangent Dragon all you Con, want. Dra Dragon Con gets some surprisingly impressive bands. I feel like mm -hmm. it's been a few years, but I, I know, as you say, Spock's Beard have played, Jefferson Starship have played Dragon Con. Blue that was Oyster amazing. Cult. Yeah, Blue Oyster Cult was at the very first Dragon Con. And didn't they bring in Michael Moorcock to do Veteran of the Psychic Wars with them? Yes. Ridiculous like yes. That? Right. Can, can we get <laughs> another ridiculously good band at Dragon Con again sometime? Oh, soon? man. I don't know, man. I mean, I wish. The, the best things that I've seen in the last decade, well, there was a band called Faith in the Muse which are kind of gothy, you know, kind of goth wave kind of thing. And um, my one of my best friends at the time hated them. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go see what they're like. And, you know, they sounded okay to me, but then they then they covered a uh, Kate Bush song, Running Up That Hill. And I was like, dude, because I'm a big Kate Bush do, fan. Did they do it justice? Because I feel like covering that song is... Right. pretty cliched at this point and not everyone does it well sure sure um you know kate almost in a way kind of fits in with this prog discussion too she's not actually prog rock but she embraces a lot of the you know things that prog is built on so i um, always kind of think of her in terms of you know pink floyd and these kind of things i was, I was going to say wasn't david gilmore her mentor yeah yeah. Uh, there's a there's actually uh, i'm sure you've seen it but for anyone listening there's a phenomenal version of running up that hill a live version with yeah. her and david gilmore on guitar yep and hearing that guitar his signature guitar tone which is so so yeah. so so recognizable <laughs> yes it is <laughs> it, it it gives me chills and dare i say makes me a little aroused Mm. Oh my gosh! Well then, <laughs> you too, apparently, from that noise. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that um, you can you can recognize Dave Gilmore anywhere, no matter. I mean, he played on a Berlin album, and he laid down you know the most recognizable David Gilmore solo on this Berlin song, but you know people hire dave gilmore because they want to hear david gilmore they want people to know we have david gilmore on our song you no know one can make guitar cry no. like he can that is the truth that is the truth all right so um let's put an end to this crazy prog talk that we've been doing um we can do another one of these if you want sometime but do we still have a few minutes yeah I mean, sure what else now. you got what else you got who who haven't you seen that you want to see prog wise mm, they're still I going have, i have not seen right i know i i can't say you know somebody who's I, I i have not seen tool and i would okay. love 
to see a tool show. Holy Moses, that would be amazing. How about you? I'd really like to see Pain of Salvation. Yeah. They do some really interesting stuff and they play in just about every subgenre of prog. They do a little bit of metal, they do a little bit of folk, a little mm -hmm. bit of this, a little bit of that. I think they'd mm -hmm. be really interesting and entertaining to see. I'll tell you, I also haven't ever seen Dream Theater. I would I love to go either. see Dream Theater sometime. One I, I did want to see, and they came to Atlanta, I think, in July, was King Crimson. Yeah. And that was this point with the pandemic where I didn't yeah. yet feel comfortable going to it. I still don't feel comfortable going to a By show. By all but... reports, that show was unbelievable. Well, and they have three drummers right now because three drummers. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of whom is Gavin Harrison, who I think is probably one of the greatest living drummers at this point in time. Yeah, I mean that's one of my that's a dream scenario for me seeing a band with three drummers. That's un I thought, unbelievable. I thought I was in heaven with Genesis and their two drummers, and then you right bring in a third. <laughs> the hell, right? Exactly. Robert Fripp is um, either a genius or insane or possibly both. <laughs> yeah, um, an, another one, not technically Prague, but another tour that came through that I missed that got rave reviews was... Um, fuck, who's the talking head guy? <laughs> oh, David Byrne. David Byrne, thank you. I was I had David Gilmore in my head and I could not dislodge the Gilmore part. Yeah, I mean, uh yeah. that that show apparently was unbelievable. And I've seen clips from it and he performed on SNL and it was it was spectacular. He so is. I'm really ridiculously sad that I missed that show, that tour. He is incredibly charismatic as well. Yeah. Yeah. So with him, it's not just it's not just the music you look at him in as a performer and you even look at an interview with him and just yeah there's something really really um interesting about him as a person mm -hmm. all right so anthony where yes, can people find you on the internet to hear more of your lovely lovely voice you can find me on the Watchers in the Fourth Dimension podcast, where we are watching our way through all of Doctor Who from 1963 until the present day. Uh, we have just got into the second Pertwee season, or season eight, uh, which has been fun so far. And we have just released a bonus episode talking about the really atrocious animation for the Web of Fear episode three. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. And I I've mean, got my you, little. If you want to hear yeah, us talk about you it have 20 to... minutes, we have a podcast episode. Exactly. Um, I've got my little publishing company, cosmicpress.com. Um, I've got some Doctor Who books and I'm publishing some stuff by other folks. Um, our newest release by Rebecca Mabry, a debut author. Her first novel is called The Mad King, and it is wonderful. And I can't wait for people to read it. All right, so we will be back uh, next week with another show on another topic. I don't know what that will be right now, but we will do it. So Hopefully we'll figure it out by next time. Usually it's Sunday afternoon. 
<laughs> when we actually decide what we're going to do. <laughs> All right. So uh, thanks, Anthony. Have a great night. Thank you for night. having me again, Alan. Um, my pleasure. Uh, so everybody watching, take care. We'll see you soon.